Wow, you get to be in that iHeart studio, sir. Look at you. Yeah, we're pretty excited. <laughs> yeah. I, my lovely wife to my left, you just can't see her, but that makes it more special. Thank you so much for serving our nation. I mean, I, we, we don't get to say thank you enough, so, it, so thank you a million times. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it was... Uh, in all honesty, it was uh, it was a pleasure to serve, and I mean that. It was uh, I, I enjoyed it. I I joined as a young kid because I wanted something exciting and fun to do, and I stayed for thirty years because it never stopped being exciting, and uh, I loved the people I got to meet and lead along the way. So it was uh, certainly a pleasure. But I appreciate the, the sentiment. Do you find yourself being a visionary in the way that you've always got to know what's going on before you arrive? No, I think um, I mean certainly in the military they train you to do your best to understand the battle spaces we say, or understand the situation you're going to jump into um, for good reason, right? When you do operations in the military, you're doing high risk operations, you're flying helicopters or fighter jets, you're taking submarines into enemy territory, as they say. So it's always nice to know what you're going into because then you can plan accordingly. But, uh, you know, I'm also finding as you go through life, that's not always the case. And, um, you know, certainly as I looked at Lead, and once I left the service after 30 years, didn't mm-hmm. quite know what that was going to look like. And um, But I've also enjoyed the uncertainty and knowing that, you know, I've got a great team. i got a great wife, great kids, great support network. And so some of that's also been fun is not knowing and enjoying and kind of embracing the unknown, as they say. I keep a defrag journal. In other words, I ask the questions, I question the answers to myself. I can't imagine the defragging that you have gone through after those 30 years on how to become that regular guy again. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think in that way, the book was, was great for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they say written out is thought out. And I think, you know, it was good for me to spend time thinking over those 30 years. And, you know, for many ways, right? It was it was the incredible people that I met and served with. It's when you think about being part of an organization where people volunteer to serve, you know, to serve a higher purpose than themselves. They're not doing it for the money because you don't get rich in the military. <laughs> and they're often willing to risk their lives to do that. That's that's a pretty powerful group of folks to be around. So, you know, as I defragged, as you say, you know, I look back on that career in the military, it was really just all the people I was I met and the and the people I was lucky enough to serve with and then all the exciting stories that came with it. I mean, I knew that, you know, whatever came next after the military probably would not be as exciting. All this the book has been been fun to promote that and my work now in nonprofit is also challenging in a different way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but not the same uncertainties, not the same necessary life or death. Uh, experiences you you often are faced with are high risk operations, as they say. So I, I told my wife, Mary, I'm going to take up skydiving just to, to fill. <laughs> yeah. Do you take that because maybe there's a little sense of you that has an addiction to excitement? There's probably a little part of me. That's probably <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Inspiring is the book's title only because you could have said sink when you can, but you did not. You said surf. That tells me that you're staying on top of it. No, I like that perspective. Um, yeah, I think, you know, like maybe you can look at it like life's a wave and, and it's just a matter of how you deal with it. Do you go under it? Do you go around it? Or you just try to ride it? And, you know, knowing that, you know, all good surfers know you fall on as many waves as you surf sometimes, depending on how big a wave you're jumping in front of. But when you do it right and you can enjoy it, then um, you're taking advantage of the, the big wave, the turmoil behind you, and you're kind of riding along comfortably and you can make something otherwise seem violent peaceful and enjoyable as they say in putting the book together did you have a a special writing place i'm an author so i have to have my own zone i have to be able to go into that place i have my favorite writing instrument the type of paper is so valuable to me what what did you go through yeah so i I tend to type because i can i can type and think faster Mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. i do when i handwrite. 
Um, you know, I try to find a quiet place uh, when I could. I think we went through a move through the process, and then uh, we had a neighbor that started some construction, so that oh, was really challenging. So I sometimes would have um, have a music on in the background with some, you know, kind of at a low low roar, as they say, to kind of drown it out. And as you know, you, it comes in spurts, right? There's times when you feel like you could write the whole book, and there's times when you feel like you can barely get to the end of the <laughs> sentence. Um, so I figured as long as I put something on paper, as they say, and um, at least I was making progress. So not not always as fast as I would like. Did you have to use any of your military discipline in order to stay focused? Because as a martial artist, I mean, there are many times I have to tap into that guy in order to get things done. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you can talk to my editor and stuff and folks I worked with that I was a stickler for timelines. And if they said they wanted something by a certain date or time, then I, I 99.9% of the time would always make that and they often acted surprised and I recognized I didn't know any other way if you yep. tell me yep. I had a due date then I had a due date so I probably used some of that military training I guess in that regards to stay on track and and pace myself as it were I don't remember having to pull that many late all-nighters to, to make those timelines but but again you know this is you know, sometimes writing I think is probably it's hard if you don't have the story in mind but I had if anything I had more stories than I had time to write um and that's just the nature of a 30-year career to experience, you know, all the things I did. So in many cases, it was a matter of what did I not want to write about um, yeah. because, you know, all the great stories. It's almost like, you know, it, the, the thing that I love about the book, Surf When, when You Can, is the fact that, I, and, and I'm, I'm, I guess maybe I'm one of the weird ones, but I, I didn't go chapter by chapter by chapter. I went by, oh, well, Clydesdales. I'm going to go here because I'm going to learn a little bit about something that I don't know, but I'm going to hold on to it so I can create conversation. Yeah. And I think, you know, I didn't, it's, it's a memoir in some ways. It's just a bunch of stories. It's yeah. a, you know, it's a journey. I mean, in many ways, right. The book for me is, is trying to capture what I learned and how I learned it. Um, because I won't pretend I joined the military 30 plus years ago, actually when I was 18 and went to the Naval Academy and, and knew anything about leadership. I, I think I had great examples from my parents. I think I had a great, you know, I learned a little bit in my first job as a lifeguard, but you know, I went to the Naval Academy because I wanted to fly. That's that was, and I would have skipped the Naval Academy to go right to flight school. Wow! So that was my number one priority. But obviously, I, I recognized there's a lot to learn about being a leader as well, and I learned over the course of the career. So I tried to capture with the book this that that growth, right? The story, telling the stories through characters I met and the leadership, you know, things I learned along the way that ultimately kind of got towards the end of the story, which kind of culminates toward the end of my career. But it was kind of a, a random journey. But yeah, they were they were fun stories to share, and I think. Um, I think you could probably take any chapter um, individually and hopefully it stands on its own. Leader to leader here question, because a lot of people don't understand that while we're leading, there's also voices in our head. How did you silence those voices when you had to lead people? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's nothing's black and white. And right. you know that and leaders and, and complex organizations or corporations know nothing is black and white. So. You know, in the end of the day, I think you have to go easy on yourself, meaning that you're going to make the best decision you can with all the information you have. Ideally, you've you've sought out assistance and and talked with folks that are your trusted confidants so you can bounce stuff off. I mean, I I never felt like I was alone in any decision I even made. Nice. Even towards the end on the on the Roosevelt, I had a a group around me and we were we were talking about the best course of action we could take. So I think you know, as a leader, you're going to have those those second thoughts and those you know those voices in your head, as you say, but if you you're not too hard on yourself you seek counsel and you seek assistance where you can and you 
and uh, you don't try to make decisions by yourself. I think at the end of the day, you can make those decisions confidently, confidently that you're going to make the best decision possible given the situation, and that should, you know, allow you to, to kind of move on. And then, you know, very few decisions aren't reversible, meaning that if you make a decision and a couple months later, you know, whether it's a corporation, you decide that the product line isn't working for you anymore, well, okay, well then go a different direction. But I think in some cases we overanalyze. We're so worried about, uh, we're so risk averse. We're you're, you know, fearful of failure, as they say, that we overanalyze to the point where we never make a decision. And that's probably even, you know, that's worse than making a, you know, a bad decision in some cases. You know, bad decision quickly is sometimes better than no decision at all, as long as you have the environment where you can adjust and learn from those mistakes. And the whole, you know, fail fast mindset is applicable. Less so in the military where you have high risk operations, but certainly true outside the military. So again, as a leader, I think you make the best decision you can. You get as much counsel as you can. And then you, you know, you, and you try to get some kind of feedback so you know as soon as you can whether that, that worked or not. I, I would love to see your notes during those moments on, on the Roosevelt when you had to make a decision. The rest, I mean, the whole world was watching. And, and, and it's, it's almost like you were our Superman without the cape because we, we, we relied on what, what was his decision going to be? What was going to happen on the Roosevelt? Yeah, I, you know, and I, I think that's important too. I had a pretty big team of really capable folks. I had a you know, medical team on board. I had my trusted advisors within my staff. I had other senior leaders on the ship with me. Um, so I don't, I don't, I never felt like I was alone in that decision. Although I think as a captain of a ship, you're ultimately accountable for the safety and well being yeah. of everybody. So, you know, you kind of have to own it. And then at the end of the day, it's, it's why I sent the email, why I didn't try to get other signatures on the email. You know, I kind of, you know, just said, you know, this, it might not be a perfect decision, but it's, it's the best decision we can make right now to, to try to get the help we need for the sailors. And, yeah. And, you know, again, it was maybe a career versus conscious moment for me, knowing that it wasn't going to necessarily, you know, put the gold star on my record uh, for future promotion. But I also knew at the end of the day that I needed to do what was right by the sailors, which is really what my number one priority was. One of the things that I've learned um, as as we march through life is the fact that it's it's a continuation. Nothing happens because, unless something has happened before it. And and taking a stand, the, the, the journey before taking that stand, the, 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 the opportunities to face moments of defeat and question, and yet you had enough strength and courage to take that stand. What What was the path to that moment? Yeah, I think, you know, again, I learned a lot about leadership from my mentors and people along the way that kind of took me by the side or, or showed me the way to do it or or talked to me at, at critical moments in my career to kind of demonstrate, you know, how to how to go about being a leader, how to inspire, how to motivate. You know, at the end of the day, you're, you know, leaders are not managers. So you have to, right. you know, ideally, you have to be able to manage um, to be a good leader. But, you know, just because you're a good manager doesn't make you a good leader. To me, leading is about inspiring. It's about building trust with your organization. If you do that well, um, you know the, the power of that, that what you're able to accomplish as a team is incredible. So, you know, I, you, you can look at it at a ball field. You can look at a good coach. Um, you know, if you're a baseball player, and, and recognize that you might have the best talent. I mean, look at an all-star team in baseball. Mm-hmm. You've got some pretty incredible talent, but they haven't played together. It's a new coach. Um, you know arguably the world series winning team can beat any all-star team because they played together they've got that teamwork and they've got that trust amongst them so you know as a leader i learned that along the way i saw that in action i saw good ships and bad ships i saw great squadrons and bad squadrons and end of the day what i noticed is that the organizations that worked well trusted one another they worked well together and it really came from the leadership that was in charge of that Um, so i tried to emulate that from like the, the best leaders that i knew um i tried to 
you know, to build on that trust. I tried to build that camaraderie. I tried to make myself available so I could talk to anybody and had a, you know, the open door policy where people could bring stuff to me because I wanted to hear from them as well. And, and that, that again, that gave me the, the strength, I think, to, to make the decisions when the time, time came. And I knew that the crew would trust me when I had to make those tough decisions because I was willing to listen and I understood on a very personal level what was motivating them. And, uh, and I think they, you know, they, they respected me for it and, and, not all my decisions were well liked. There was times when we had to mm. you know, work hard. There was times when we had to be underway during holidays, Christmas, Thanksgivings. But that's the nature of the job in the Navy, as they say. At times, you have to do that. That's the sacrifice. But my crew, I think, respected and understood that we weren't going to do that arbitrarily. We we're going to do that when we had to. And then when we had moments where we could give them time off or we could pull in early or give them extra liberty or give them extra internet access, then we would do all we could to help them out and do that. And I think that's that trust. That's that camaraderie you build and you can inspire as a leader if you do it right to be the captain that meant that you were in charge of several different departments it, that's almost like a family tree this guy's connected to this person who's connected to this person to this person i mean to, to have that trust and i love the way that you talk about trust because with trust you've got to have faith and i know and I, I can feel there's there's faith in everything you're sharing yeah i mean it's for those who have never been an aircraft carrier it's a city right you yes. have nuclear power for your energy you've got you got to feed entire crews so you have to have supplies and stores and cook you know 20,000 meals a day you have a you know, oh by the way you have an airport on top which just enables you to launch and recover airplanes and helicopters and uh, I mean it goes on and on and on and uh, it's really the city so many of you guys I always said that you know the CEO is like a is like a mayor um, and you've got to make sure you're delegating I think Colin Powell said it best, right? You delegate till you're uncomfortable and then you delegate some more. It's not, you know, you're not just delegating like because you're shirking responsibility. You're delegating because you're trying to empower people to, mm -hmm. to grow and be the leaders they can be. And you put the same trust in them that maybe was placed in me when I was at a much uh, earlier age. So my faith really was in the people that, that worked for me, mm -hmm. um, the people that I knew I could delegate to and trust. Um, and, and I tried to create the environment where I, you know, I, Failure would be okay. I knew they wouldn't be perfect. I knew they would make mistakes. Um, but I also knew that if I was open with them, they'd, they'd tell me when they made mistakes and what they were going to do to fix them, and then we'd move on from that. But you know, my faith was really in the people that I worked with and the leaders that I delegated to. Uh, and to run a city like an aircraft carrier, that's really the only way to do it. If you're a micromanager, you need to find yeah. something else to do because it's too complex to try to micromanage. I, I love the idea of, of the empowerment because I, I always call it seeds popping. And because when, when you see somebody come out of that seed and they become greater leaders and greater people, I mean, that you, you there's no word. You can't put that in a book. It's only an experience. experience. Yeah, and it's, and it's certainly, you know, I, I love when I see folks used to work for me now in positions of, you know, of, of senior leadership because I knew, you know, I got to watch them from a younger age grow and blossom into these incredible leaders. And, and whether I had any part of that or not is irrelevant. It's just that you watch people grow and learn. And, and so when you're a leader and you can delegate mm -hmm. um, and you watch that happen, you know, on your ship or in your squadron or in your corporation, it's empowering. In fact, in many ways, it makes your job easier, which is great because you have people that are doing some of this hard work, but you're also watching people grow and they're the future of the organization. You know, no one stays in any job forever. Yeah. Right. We all either die or move on or something. So <laughs> if you really like the organization, I love the Navy, then you hope that you've trained and empowered folks. So they're going to go on well after you've left the service or your company or whatever the case may be. And then they, they run. And I have no doubt that the folks that I was lucky enough to serve with and lead are doing amazing things out there right now. And I still keep in touch with them and get to go to the ceremonies when they take over command and I couldn't be prouder of them.
Writing a book is called cleaning out the closet. That means that you have extra time inside your heart to create new things. What What is something that you haven't done or that you're about ready to do because you now have that space in your soul? No, that's, I guess that's where I am is figuring out what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I work full time in a nonprofit, I, you know, and that's, that is keeps me busy and there's, you know, that we focus on homeless veterans and that's, that's a complex problem that, um, is, is going to take most of my focus and I'm certainly not going to be able to solve it by myself. And, and, uh, but I enjoy that work and I enjoy taking care of veterans and serving, I guess, in a different way now. So that's, that's a full-time job and I enjoy that. I think, um, I probably need to surf a little bit more because I think through the book and, I transition and my nonprofit work, I sometimes don't get out and surf as much and to stay true to the cause and my belief that, uh, you know, living a, a good balanced life, you know, having a good life work balance, as they say, then I've got to get on the board a little bit more and spend more time and, and travel with my wife who, who has accompanied me for, you know, 20 moves in 30 years. And so wow. now we're going to have to do some traveling. Wow. You, you said one of my favorite words, transition. I do a transition walk every day through this forest because I believe that we need to study our transitions. I can't imagine how you're you know, able to handle your transitions and see new transitions appear at the same time. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you, though, I find it exciting in many ways yeah. because you have like a blank canvas and, you know, you could, you know, you could work on motorcycles or you could go become a park ranger or you go be a policeman or, you know, there's so many opportunities. And I think that's what's great about society in our country is you really can, if you, whatever you put your mind to and, and you want to work hard at it. And, and I also think that for anyone in a transition, you know, particularly when you come from a, you know, 30 years in the service or 20 years or even, even two years in the service, you know, take your time to make that decision wisely. Get to use the opportunity to get to know yourself and, and know what you want to do. Um, I think it's sometimes easy to jump into the next job and, start punching a clock and I don't think people will be that satisfied. So I've, I've enjoyed this transition and yeah. I'm enjoying what I'm doing now in the nonprofit world. And certainly this book has been fun, a fun project. Um, and I also kind of like not knowing what's next. And certainly <laughs> kind of, that can be exciting too. <laughs> and being a part of the iHeart family, one of the things that they taught us was when in doubt, leave it out. You don't say that. You say when in doubt, be kind. What, what a positive wa- way to walk into a, a conversation. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. I think I learned that from my parents as a kid. Is everybody is going through something? And I think it's easy to be snapped to quick judgment and see something on video or see something on TikTok and, and want to judge people. I just think that in the end of the day, you know, we would all be better off if you know we're just a little bit nicer to one another. I think when you're a leader, particularly when you come from a position of strength, and you have to be strong. I mean, if you're if you're weak-minded or you're you know, insecure, then it's hard to be kind to people because you're you're just trying to survive. But if you come from a position of strength or power, if you can get there through your own discipline or through your own strength of personality, well, then you're now in a great position to be kind to people. And it's so empowering and so enjoyable to help people out. And it's not a self-serving thing, but it's really goes back to what we talked about. You know, being kind to somebody really helps them grow. It really mm-hmm. helps them blossom. And I think, you know, we could all do that a little bit better, I think, in life. is And it's never let me down. I mean, I and I say that with confidence. There's, you know, you know, don't don't get me wrong. I, I could be driving in traffic and get frustrated with somebody and, and want to honk, but um, but you're just gonna feel better if you let them in. Yep. I guarantee it. Yep. You know, you just just if you can approach life that way, helping helping out one another just a little bit, I think uh, you'll never regret it. I think you'll, in fact, you'll enjoy life more as well. What's the website for your nonprofit organization so we can show you guys some love? Sure, it's uh, it's vvsd. Net. And if you go to uh, surfwhenyoucan.com, I've got a whole section of there of a couple of nonprofits that I like folks to pay attention to. And VBSD, Veterans Village of San Diego, uh, is one of them. And that's where I'm working right now full time. I think 
wherever you are, I think if you want to give to a great cause, uh, we can always use the assistance. Absolutely. Please come back to the show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you, sir. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the time today, but uh, yeah, enjoy the conversation. Well, you be brilliant today, okay? Yeah, you as well. Thanks. Thanks, Rob.